0: Hello and welcome to the Michael Clark Show podcast, where every Wednesday I'll bring you an interview with a different special guest. Many will be from the world of sport. All of them have a story worth sharing. In a time when doom and gloom is all too easy to find, this is a place where we'll be promoting the positive, so I hope you'll keep me company each week as I explore where our guests get their motivation and inspiration from to succeed. Welcome back once again. It is episode nine of the podcast and the great guests keep on coming. I am really thrilled to have this man on this week. He's the voice of Old Trafford and he has been for over 20 years. A warm welcome, Alan Keegan.
1: Great to be here, Michael, and uh, I'm glad that we could get together at long last. It's been a while uh, coming together, but listen, it's great to be um, on your podcast. I've listened to a few and you're doing a fantastic job.
0: Really appreciate that, my friend. It's so good to be talking to you. Your voice is iconic and football fans, whether they are Man United diehards or even the rival supporters, everybody knows your voice.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm very fortunate because um, that's that's been a blessing, you know, um, that I've got quite a distinctive voice. Obviously, it's Northern, Mancunian. Uh, not quite in the Liam Gallagher sort of Mancunian accent, but, you know, we're in that. We, we actually came from nearly the same part of Manchester, uh, the south side of Manchester. So, yeah, I'm very blessed and, um, you know, I'm I'm very grateful that it wasn't, you know, I've made a great living out of my voice and I'm very happy that it wasn't through my looks as well, you know, because otherwise I'd have been bankrupt by now.
0: <laughs> well, if you've got the singing voice of the Gallaghers, that might help the reunion because it doesn't seem like both parties are on the same wavelength still. <laughs>
1: No, no, unfortunately, um, I went to the same school as the Gallaghers as well, you know, we, uh, as I say, it was quite where we all lived, you know, that sort of spread, that footprint was a big Irish area, I mean, I wasn't actually in Burnage, but I was in a sort of area next door, so yeah, but we all went to what was called St. Mark's or Barlow High School at the time, so yeah, I'm a little bit older than them though, so uh, we won't go into that, but yeah, some good stuff came out of that school.
0: We're going to talk about your Irish roots in a little while because it turns out there's a bit of a crossover between uh, my other half and an area of Manchester you're very familiar with. So we'll get on to that. That's a bit of a foreshadowing there, I guess, everybody. But uh, let's talk about Man United first. Um, what is it like doing your job? Because I imagine for many people it's the dream to be that close, to be in that stadium and to meet those players, the manager, everything. It's fairytale stuff.
1: Yeah, it is fairytale stuff. And I mean, obviously, you know, I'm I'm very fortunate because I married a woman who loves football. So back in the day, we had two season tickets in the Stratford end. We, we've never let them go. Um, my wife and my son now, they both use them. And just, you know, I used to sit there soaking it all up at two brilliant seats in the Stratford end, right on the halfway sort of level on, on the T of Stretford of the word Stretford, And I'd look down and... Just about the panoramic view of the stadium. So, to actually be the stadium announcer, the voice of Old Trafford, I always say it's the third best job. You know, from apart from actually playing for Man United or being the manager of Man United. You know, it's uh, the, the best job in the world, and I've been so fortunate and blessed to be in the right place at the right time because I love United. I love the club, and to sort of have that little bit of, you know, a small cog in the massive machine that is United, it's just an honour. And um, also, I've had some great times and memories over that period, you know, both as a fan and both as the stadium announcer, the voice of Old Trafford. It's just been fantastic, Michael.
0: How long are you preparing for a match day? Because if anyone's ever been in Old Trafford, there's lots of different reads to do. It's not just getting to grips with the names of the players. So I imagine you're very busy and it's not just on a Saturday afternoon.
1: Yeah, it is busy and, and it's changed, you know, it's obviously changed from the beginning. You know, I started in 2000 and I always remember my, my boss at the time, Ken Ramsden, he was the assistant club secretary, and he said, listen, Alan, one thing I want you to remember when, you, when you're the stadium announcer or the PA announcer, he said, you're an information service. You know, he said, 75,000 people come to watch and see the 11 red shirts of Manchester United your part is to be that information service and that link and I never forgot that I thought it was brilliant advice you know because you know you've never, I've never wanted to get above my station or never wanted to sort of be thinking I'm bigger than I am you know so I always sort of kept my feet on the ground and it's changed dramatically I haven't Michael since that first message from Ken you know and the, the sort of profile and the, the global brand that is Manchester United because yes and then um, Obviously, we have a structure. We've got a format. We've got a running order for each match day. Um, And a lot of it, you know, would be centred around the sponsors. Each match will be sponsored by a partner. And, you know, what perhaps some fans don't see before, the gates action coming down, for name a few. And they'll have photographs with the partners and uh, the sponsor partners and the guests. So there's all that that's going on. They want their read, as you say. You know, uh, Marriott Bonfoy have done a competition now where a fan... Um, if you use up your points and you enter a competition, you can shadow me pre-match before the game. And then what we do is prior to the to the, the match, uh, one of the first announcements is you do the joint team announcement with me. So I pass the microphone over to a, a winner. So it's absolutely changed beyond recognition, that engagement and the partners. You know, obviously the digiballs that go around the side of the pitch. Well, you know during the game that's all timed. It's not just random. You know, everything's timed, how much time to get, and it's attention to detail. So and I'm part of that, you know, and I'm very fortunate because a lot of that information comes in during the week. You know, so on email, Alan, you know, you might be interviewing someone like when the Olympics were on in the in, in, in Britain, um, in England and London. You you might have someone like Usain Bolt come in, which he did with his two medals. And you've got to go through the format, how many questions, you know, it's all timed. And, you know, everything's got a place in the running order. So, yeah, there's a lot of work. And then obviously, you know, there's a small matter of a football game where you've got to announce players, substitutions, goals, hopefully, you know, and anything else that's happening. So, yeah, it's a busy schedule the day of the uh, stadium announcer.
0: How do you manage your nerves? Because with 75,000 people in a stadium, if you say the wrong thing, fans can be boisterous, have a little laugh. How do you stop yourself, you know, losing the run of yourself?
1: Yeah, well, it's an interesting question because not only am I the announcer, but also I'm a Manchester United fan. So (laughs) sometimes you can get over you. If we've got time, there's a few stories where, you know, my emotions have got the better of me because the fan has come out, you know, as much as I'm a professional. And yeah, with that, you get situations where, you know, there's not a stadium announcer in the country who's not made a mistake, you know, and you just have to hold your hands up because there's no hiding place. You can't sort of think, oh, hang on, did anyone hear that? You know, there's always somebody. And then in the world of Twitter, you know, three seconds later, it's on Twitter, you know, so you're absolutely crucified. So you just have to stand up, be counted. I've had a few clangers over the years. So, you know, it's one of those that you just have to move on and, and and move on to the net. It's like, you're only as good as the last game, I suppose.
0: It's kind of like when someone in a restaurant drops a glass, isn't it? And everyone in the restaurant goes, way... But yeah, a oh, lot more people.
1: <laughs> yeah, a lot more people. And, you know, it's not just then the 75,000 in the stadium. It goes beyond that with the power of social media these days. You know, somebody's always recording something. Someone's always there to do an update. So... Yeah, it's just part, part, part of, the, um, of the job, but listen, it's the best job in the world and I wouldn't change it for anything.
0: I imagine the butterflies never truly go away when you're doing something like that.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, there's a sort of routine I have because obviously pre-match, I do most of the annou- announcements. This would be in normal times. I do I do the announcements from what we call the centre tunnel uh, in between the two dugouts. Um, and then just a few moments before the players were coming out of the players' tunnel then I walked down there and I, I always let on to there's a gentleman who's been going to Old Trafford as long as I can remember and we have a bit of a ritual he sort of sits a little bit over into the Stratford end and I never knew him all just one day he caught me eye and there was him and his friend and they let on you know two I know he won't mind me saying two sort of I think the retired gentleman, um, and one of them George he he just always lets on. So now it's a ritual. Before I bring the team out, I always go over and I always let on to him. Um, You know, I don't think I've actually ever met him personally outside of Old Trafford. You know, I've just said hello to him a few times at the rail. We've come down and say hello. We always have a thumbs up and he always gives me a prediction, you know, like what the score's going to be sort of thing. And then I go on. And I always do a sort of 360 turn, Michael, because I, I sort of think to myself, am I really here? You know, I just... You know, absolutely love the moment. And yeah, that's when the butterflies come. And I always have those butterflies, you know. um, Welcome to the Theatre of Dreams. This is the home of the world's greatest football club, the home of Manchester United, or worse to that effect. Please welcome, you know, X, Y and Z. And then Manchester United, you know, it's just unbelievable, that roar of the crowd and, you know, different elements and different atmospheres for different occasions.
0: And within that, some really special moments. I mean, I can think of, I was there for the game against Aston Villa, Fergie's last season, as it turned out to be, and, and winning the title. And I could tell you were really enjoying yourself that night, and a few others were as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 there were. They were it, I mean, they're, they're just great nights, and you don't forget them. And, you know, Sir Alex, I was very fortunate, because in the last couple of seasons for Sir Alex, uh, we, we obviously had a good you know, with 2008, and obviously I know we didn't win the European, the Champions League, um, at, at Wembley and in Roma, but we'd had a good run. It was good, good times to be a United fan. And I seem to be doing a lot of outside events with Sir Alex, you know, and just the aura of the man when he walked in a room, you know, prior to introducing him, it didn't matter what football team the person supported in that room, they knew they were in the presence of greatness you know, and it can't be put any other way, you know, it's it's one of those, you know, the man is a legend and for me to be sat there and doing interviews with him and, you know, to win his trust over those years, you know, which which I know I did, Um, I respected him so much, you know, and like you're sat there looking across and you're thinking, am I really speaking to the greatest manager of all time, you know, and he's here talking and entertaining the audience because he's so funny and witty, you know, when you're doing a Q and a with him, he just wants to have a bit of fun and, Nothing like his press conferences. You know, he's a totally different person. And, yeah, so to be part of all that, Michael, you know, the, the, the list of memories is endless. You know, the final day when you're introducing him into the, into the pitch, into Old Trafford, when they had the Guard of Honour, then at the end of the game, you're introducing him and you're going through, you know, it took me about five minutes to go through his, his role of honour, you know, with everything that he'd won, you know, and it was just fantastic.
0: It must be very easy to turn into a blithering idiot when you meet someone like that. <laughs> you know, someone you really admire as a, as a supporter too. How how do, you, how do you compose yourself that, you know, if we take your way back to the first couple of times you were working with Sir Alex? Yeah.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely spot on. And I might use that quote again, a, blith- a, blith- a, blithering, a blithering idiot, because, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. Because, you know, I'd taken over from um, the previous announcer who'd been there for 10 years. So he had a well-established track record, you know, and then I was coming in, I was an outsider, you know, albeit I had worked behind the scenes for the club in the corporate hospitality on a match day, you know, so I'd been there for two years doing that. But you're right, I mean, my first sort of interaction with him was um, what they call the open pitch days. So United back then, they were normally playing in the community shield or the charity shield, so they'd always do an open pitch day the day before at Old Trafford before they drive down to London uh, for the opening game of the season, whether who'd ever won the cup or whoever'd won the league, you know, they play each other. And you're doing a pitch event and you've you've got to engage with Sir Alex because the team are doing a a sort of, you know, a drive practice sort of training session and you've got 10,000 fans just screaming and shouting, you know, because it was I think it was free access or it was a donation to charity to come in. And uh, you're talking with Sir Alex on the football pitch and, you know, you're thinking, am I really doing this? And I'll be honest, I was quite nervous, you know. But if he ever sensed it? He never made me feel nervous, if that makes sense, you know. It was just the whole being in the presence of him. And I know I did one of these about three seasons in. And again, I'm conscious I don't want to waffle on and bore people. But you sort of stood there and I'm on the edge of the pitch and you're looking to interview a few of the backroom staff and... You're trying to sort of make it engaging for the fans who've turned up because really all they're doing is watching the players doing a random sort of like what you see every pre-game, you know, a bit of a warm-up session. And and I remember one day, Sir Alex, there was a load of people on stage trying to get his attention. And he said, if anybody wants anything, he said, if you don't mind, he said, just have a word with Alan. He'll sort it out. And he said, then he'll come to me and tell me what we're doing. And I looked over at him and honestly... It was one of the greatest moments of my life because I thought I've been here probably three seasons and Sir Alex, trust me, you know, and I just felt so great about it. And it might might seem nothing to anybody listening to this or, or, or viewing it, but that was a moment, you know, that was a moment where for him to say that, you know, have a word with Alan, he'll sort it out and then he'll come and have a word with me. And I thought, wow, you know, that, 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 was, that, that was that bond where I thought... It's took me maybe three seasons, but Sir Alex, I know you trust me, so it meant a lot to me that Michael.
0: And that was one of his superpowers, almost, wasn't it? Being able to to lift people up and, and give them that, and to be part of that yourself, um, you know, because you and I probably both would love that as players, Alan. But uh, you'll you'll take it you'll take it in your role.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll de- listen, that was the next best thing. That that was Fergie putting an invisible arm around me and just saying, you know. I know you're in every corner and I trust you. And I I like to think I've never, ever let him down. You know, anything I've ever done with him, I've always prepared for it. If we're doing an event or a sponsored event. And, you know, this is what I mean. I was so privileged because I saw and shared so many funny times with him, you know, and I did events with him and Dennis Law and Dennis Law was his hero. And they were just like two mates, you know, when you were doing the event, you just had to step back. And it was like two friends just... It wasn't an event, you know, it was just them two getting the opportunity to speak and talk and, you know, the the, the Scottish connection and the love of Scotland and Scotland, the national team and all that, you know, just to see two pals like me and you just having a chat and having a laugh and it was wonderful to be part of that and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll treasure that forever.
0: A lot of people that know Sir Alex always talk about how he just seems to know everything about everybody. What what was that like for you? Um, was he like that? Was he taking an interest in, you know, Alan Keegan outside of Old Trafford and outside of announcements and, and all that sort of stuff?
1: I'd not say it's all very professional. You know, it wasn't where I was Sir Alex's best friend and he was my best friend. You know, I wouldn't like to sort of give that image. But you certainly felt he knew you. And you always knew that, you know, different people who I knew, that he knew, you knew he'd always ask about you. And, you know, I don't want to say do his homework on you because I'm way down that pecking order, you know. But, But I always felt his warmth. That's the only way I can put it. And that might seem a strange expression to associate with Sir Alex. But I did. I always felt his warmth and, you know, I always knew that, I go back to that word that he trusted me. It meant so much to me, Michael. You know, he, he trusted me. And at the end of the day, what more could I ask for? You know, I didn't I didn't want to be his best friend. I'm sure he definitely didn't want to be my best friend, but I know he trusted me. And that's that's all I can that's all I can say. And I'm, that's enough for me.
0: You're obviously a very humble guy, and I can tell you massively respect Sir Alex Ferguson. Were was there ever a time where you were a wee bit afraid of him when you maybe saw him on a bad day? <laughs>
1: um, no, I was always very fortunate that I never I never sort of cut the wrath of uh, anything I'd done wrong with Sir Alex. I mean, I suppose um, there's a few stories and I have told this a few times so I hope if anybody's listening it's not too boring to hear it again but I made one of the biggest almighty exactly. mega wrong announcements. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just what had happened is just very quickly Diego Forlan Um, I have told this story, so I'll keep it short. He didn't score from open play for about 21 games and we were playing at Old Trafford and basically what happened was the game was going on and United were going to do two substitutions. I'll never forget the subs, but I can't remember who we were playing, but John O'Shea and Phil Neville were coming on. So we stood at the side of the pitch and the fourth official's got the card and you know, I'm trying to look on this sheet and I have a folder, you know, um, and I'm trying to sort of write who's coming off and who's coming on. Anyway, while we're looking down at the sheet, United score. <laughs> so I, I sort of look up, over. Anyway, I can see David Beckham celebrating and going mad that we've scored, you see. And I said to Shazy, John O'Shea, who I've got on really well with, and Phil, I said, who, who got that? And they said, we haven't, got, we haven't got a clue. We're looking at the card with you. Anyway, I look over. So, obviously, I want to get the announcement, you see, but I learned a big lesson this day. And I went, Old Trafford, Manchester United's goal, scored by number seven, David Beckham. And I, I swear at the stadium, I could hear it. <laughs> and I look up and then I see Di- Diego Forlan running around, waving his shirt. It's It was Forlan who'd scored the goal. And I was like, anyway, Albert, the kit man, I don't know if you remember Albert, yeah. Albert Morgan. Yeah. He was like Fergie's right hand, man. Well, he came down to the side of the pit. Well, he ran down. I couldn't repeat what he said to me on this podcast. But the word blind and questioning me, parenthood and all the rest of it. Did you not see who got the goal? or oh, Michael, I was devastated. Absolutely devastated. Anyway, i did look over at Fergie. i did look over at him, you know. Anyway, apparently, he found it quite funny. You know, like, but I was just absolutely devastated. But no, I've never actually felt the wrath of Fergie. Thank goodness. But I did see a few others. Um There's a story that Gary Neville tells this story, but I was a witness to it. Where I don't know if anybody can picture it, but I stand at the the home dugout on a match day, just in front of it. Obviously during COVID, I don't. But that's where I normally stand. So I could see and hear everything that was going on. And to be fair to Sir Alex, you might remember this, but he wasn't a man who always stood at the, in the technical area. Yeah. You know, he'd only come down every now and again, you know, if he wanted to put a message over. Anyway, where, where I'm stood, if you've ever done the tour, it's like a metal step, the first bit of it. So all I could hear was, boom, 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 boom. Fergie trotting down, he goes into the technical area and he gives Gary, Gary Neville, an Almighty blasting and telling him to do something, and his finger pointing at him, and all the rest of it. Anyway, Gary turns around and he tells another story that's similar to this. But I witnessed this. This is something that happened. This anyway, Gary, <laughs> this is the truth. Yeah, Gary, stuck two fingers up at the boss, right? Anyway, I'm stuck there, and I'm I'm like looking at it. Did anyone else see that? You know, I'm stuck. anyway the boss never reacted to Alex all of it he just walked back up to the steps sat in his you know where he used to sit on the top seat sat back there and I thought I can't believe that he's not even reacted I thought he'd absolutely go mad and remonstrate with him anyway what was really funny the next two the next two home games the next game was a home game but I think it was the next two games Gary Neville was on the bench <laughs> never played him so you know there's elements of that it was just brilliant you know to, to witness that and be so close to it you know I've not really done the story justice because you'd have had to see it visually as well it was just fantastic the way that he was calm he was cool and I thought there's me thinking I can't believe this anyway he showed Gary who was the boss he, didn't, he was on the bench for the next couple of games
0: and that is a brilliant story and a, maybe a, a perfect way to sum up Sir so Alex Ferguson he, he was able to hold that in him. You thought, well, there's no point getting into an argument now, let's win the game or whatever, but I will deal with you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, 100% Michael,
0: 100%. Working with Manchester United means you've obviously got to interview so many amazing players. You've interviewed probably anyone that that I could imagine or anyone watching this could imagine. Who have been some of your personal favourites, whether it's been through just admiration of them or, or maybe just their personality?
1: yeah i mean the list is endless and <clears throat> excuse me i was always i was very fortunate because from 2010 up to 2017 i'd been involved one way or another on every tour that united did every summer tour so it put me in wonderful situations you know because we travelled with the football team on the plane we travelled around it was in america we travelled to all the different cities um and it also gave me the opportunity to Meet the, the a lot of the first team, and again I go back to the sponsoring events. You know, you're doing event, excuse me, with um with Wayne Rooney or whoever you know at the time was the captain. Different players, but I think it just give you a few players. Um, so Bobby Charlton, an absolute honour, an icon, um, represents the club. Gave it the name, the expression that I use every match at Old Trafford, the Theatre of Dreams. Um, to do an event with him was absolutely brilliant. Some of his stories were brilliant about, you know, coming from the the Northeast and coming to Manchester and to Trafford, Trafford Park. He thought it was going to be this sort of tree-lined park, you know, and at, the, at that time it was a very industrial area and it was quite foggy, you know, and he tells this story, to Bobby. So he'd be one. I mean, the list is endless, Mike. We could do a full podcast on... Every player I've done on a story with them. But, yeah, so Bobby, um, I'll tell you who I absolutely loved doing stuff with. Roy Keane, Mm -hmm. absolutely amazing. Um, Such a brilliant guy. One of my all-time favourite United players. Uh, Absolute honour to do stuff with Roy. Great fun, great crack, real good laugh, great storyteller. Had really be out, out of his hand. You know, a brilliant fella to do stuff with. Uh, I've done a few do's with him um, since he's left uh, Manchester United. I've done a few dinners with him and he's, he's top drawer. He's, he's the best in the business. He's brilliant. Um, growing and up for me...
0: Just, just on, sorry to cut over you, just on Roy Keane. People obviously have an impression of him. Is, is Roy Keane in front of the camera different than Roy Keane off camera?
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, you know... Don't get me wrong, he doesn't suffer fools, um, but he's so funny. He's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. You know, he's got. I mean, I think I think where you see see some of it, and I think Micah Richards has brought the best out of Roy. You know, when you see the banter the two of them have, because yeah. obviously Sky, they, they can see that they put Micah in there and he just tugs at Roy, doesn't he? And he gets that. I mean, I don't know. If you've seen the clip where. Micah says, "When I burst onto the scene, oh yeah, you know, and then R- Roy <laughs> lets him talk, you know, and he says, you know, that beautiful Cork accent. I've never seen a defender burst onto the scene, you know, and <laughs> then it's just brilliant. It's a great double act, you know. And uh, Roy is Roy's Roy, and he's brilliant. Don't suffer fools, but he's he's so good and so entertaining, you know. He really, really is his top draw for that.
0: And you were going to tell us another name. Who's the other one?"
1: Yeah, well, obviously growing up, um, has to be for me as well. Captain Marvel, Brian Robson, um, absolutely amazing. Dead switched on, can talk about anything, really good. And I always see this, <clears throat> I'm probably one of the most revered Man United players is Robo? Like I did, a, when we played at Wembley a few seasons ago, uh, I think it was... It might have been the Palace game. And uh, basically what had happened is I was doing an interview on the side of the pitch with, with Robo, and there were, there were filming it so you could see it on the screen. And we walked along the edge of the pitch and the, the adoration from the United fans for him as he walked along, you know, clapping him and shouting him. And, you know, you don't see a lot like that. He was brilliant. I mean, I love Dennis Irwin. Dennis Irwin's a great guy. You know, speaks really well, really intelligent. Uh, I was very fortunate when... Just before lockdown, and I mean a few days or just before lockdown last year, uh, the Atlanta supporters, the Manchester United Atlanta supporters group, flew me, Paul Scholes, and David May over for their annual dinner. Wow. And uh, we had a, a room full of Manchester United fans, and we had Paul Scholes and David May, and they are an absolute double act. You know, they're dead good mates. They bounce off each other and it is an unbelievable event when you've got David May and, and Paul Scholes. It's top of the bill, you know. So I don't know, Michael, I, I just, you know, I don't sound like I'm dropping names everywhere, but I'm just so lucky, you know, the, the list is endless. And, you know, Gary Neville, uh, Norman Whiteside has a dinner every year, has a lunch every Christmas in a restaurant in Manchester. And it's, you know, it's it's never advertised. It's just repeat, you know. You've had a table this year. If you don't take it next year, you're on a waiting list then for years. It's jam packed with Man United fans. And he always has some of the old legends, you know, from United and Everton Mike Newell and Mike Milligan from Everton and, you know, all his mates as well from yesteryear. But Ro- Robo will be there. But every year he has a stellar guest speaker. So he's had Robo, he's had Gary Pallister, he- he's had Andrew, Andrew Cole, um, but one year he had Gary Neville. Oh, it was absolutely brilliant because he's another one who doesn't hold back, you know. And they're all they're all good value for money, you know. They're all brilliant. So, I mean, I'm, I don't want to bore everybody. I've talked about legends there, but you know, I've done stuff with with Beckham, I've done stuff with Rooney, uh, Ronaldo, Rio Ferdinand. You know, like you say, since two thousand. Any prominent player, I've probably done an event with them, you know, so it's been brilliant. The last event I did uh, in the last nine months was an event where we had to wear masks. Um, I did it for a sponsor for United called Visit Malta. They're now part of a sponsorship deal with United. And I did an event with Paul Pogba, uh, Victor Lindelof and Brandon Williams. So that was only in December that, but we had to wear masks and and do that. So I do apologise for waffling on here.
0: No, not at all. It's really, really interesting. Um with Paul Pogba, I think you can see just off the back of the game in Milan what an influential player he is and actually how popular he seems to be within the camp. How frustrating is it at times to see, I guess, that side of Paul Pogba when you're watching him on the pitch and then whatever a newspaper writes about him and, and where is the truth in all of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a shame because, like, Paul's a lovely lad. And I first did an event with Paul in um, in America when we were on tour uh, and I did an event with him, Romelu Lukaku, Victor Lindelof, and Mateo Damian. So they were the four players and it was on behalf of Veon and I was hosting it. And um, he's such a lovely, lovely lad, Paul. You know, he, he could be one of your mates. You know, he's just real fun fella, absolutely gifted footballer. He can do things. I mean, if you, you know, you talk about the Milan game. If you wanted if, if you anybody in that position with the ball at that moment, it was Paul Pogba because there's not many players could have scored that goal just to do the dummy beforehand as well and send the goalkeeper the far side and then he hits it in the, in the near side. But the, the, the event in um we did in America, he was brilliant and I'd not done anything with him prior to this. Um, so, you know, you're, you're trying to feel your way and you're trying to get into the event. And um, I, I'd been told by one of the staff that it was Victor Lindelof's birthday um, on this particular day so anyway i'm doing the event and there's hundreds of people in the room and it's all going really well and this that and the other and i just said um oh victor i believe it's your birthday today you know happy birthday for all of us uh, maybe they'll sing happy birthday to you you know and it wasn't on the script this you know like you know though like i said before these things are quite tightly run you know yeah they, they know because they don't want any surprise questions you know um so I said, maybe the lads will sing happy birthday. And Paul went, absolutely. Yeah, come on, Rom. Let's sing happy birthday. Matteo Dami was on the other side of the stage. So it was a bit awkward for him to come. So Paul Pogba and Romelu Lukaku sing happy birthday to, to Victor Lindelof. And the crowd absolutely loved it. You know, so precious moments. And what a talent. And I hope he stays at United. He's a great lad and a great player.
0: That's a lovely story. I'm glad I asked now. Sometimes people forget as well, and I know it's not always possible because, as you say, those are very tightly run events and timing's important and it all needs to be structured. But when people are interviewing footballers, they forget they're real people, don't they, with some of the questions?
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's the approach I've always tried to take, you know. Like, once you can just, you know, drill into a little bit of, uh, and you get to them, you know, because, to be honest, a lot of it for them to convey, you know, Got, they're brought to this place that place it's a sponsorship thing it's this that and the other they've got to recite a script they've got to get involved you know and and all you've got to do like i say that event i mentioned prior to the american one um the, the visit malta one that was a great event because the, the setup and the organizers did a brilliant pre-plan with it because you had like easels and you had four massive bigger than 83 postcards of malta and we had four categories like the beach, the city, the sites and historic places. And there was four choices of cards from each category and they had to pick a postcard and I was talking it through and they said, right, I'm picking this one. Um, And then I'd have the script for it. Oh yeah, that's the Blue Lagoon, blah, 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 on the coast of Malta, beautiful place to visit. Um, So you're asking them, you know, you get to Malta, what's the first thing you want to do? I want to go on the beach really down to earth and you see that side of them you know they're just like close They just want a nice holiday they want the sun and they just want to be with their family or friends and enjoy the occasion it's
0: so interesting uh, seeing that other side of footballers and you're right about the conveyor belt i remember when i was very sort of green cub reporter thinking gosh someone's someone's taken my quotes and read somewhere else and then i realized no these people are just giving the same answer all the way down the line because of course they are because it's the same questions <laughs>
1: It is. I mean, it's always interesting because, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I hosted an event last week, and uh, I might as well drop in the sponsors' names because why not? But I hosted it for Shivas. Uh, They're uh, the whiskey sponsor for United. United have got a sponsor for everything, you know. And uh, in fact, I've got a, I've got a sample bottle of it here now. Oh, here, uh, right. look at that little sample, eighteen-year-old Shivas Regal. Um, so, I hosted an event um, on a Friday afternoon, and what they had, it was through through Zoom um, and it was, uh, there was about 30 people on online and they had Brian Robson and Dennis Irwin as the legends. So everybody who was going to be on online had been sent four samples of these uh, various whiskies from Shivash, you know, 18-year-old, 12-year-old, exclusive whiskey. They all came in packages like this. Um, but they were all sent a sample and then you had a, uh, Dennis Irwin, you know, like they had a brand ambassador. I, I'm doing a Q&A with Dennis and, and Brian. And then you've got the brand ambassador swirling it in the glass and tasting it. It was a fantastic event. But, you know, you get some questions where you're asking the legends and, and, and they are the same going back to what you just said. You know, what was your best game ever and what was your worst game and who's the hardest player or who was the best player? So you have to try and come at it with a different approach, you know. So you are right there.
0: Giving them a whiskey probably helps.
1: <laughs> it certainly did, yeah, yeah. It certainly <laughs> did. Uh, I didn't tell them I'm T-Total. So uh, I was just doing a camouflage uh process with it but it but it worked very well anyway and i've given them a plug today haven't
0: i Yeah, you have i'll keep them very happy um yeah. i know i was thinking those, those sort of things you're right when they have a, a sponsor a partnership with everything and that's obviously just very clever business brains work and all that sort of stuff those events could go wrong couldn't they? when you're doing a taste test for a sponsor you want to make sure you like the product first <laughs>
1: yeah 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 well yeah exactly yeah. but from my point of view Obviously, it's I've been drinking anyway, you know, so there's a fine line there. So that, that was fine. But but yeah, yeah, I mean, that's it. It's got to be right. And they're spending millions of pounds. You know, it's not just a few hundred. So everything has to be right. And obviously, United do it right. There's always a big launch. There's always a press launch. You know, they, they get it out there, the global message. And that's what, what sponsors and partners want.
0: You said this a bit earlier, um, so I, I want to come on to it, about sometimes, you know, you get a wee bit lost in the moment, you get a wee bit carried away. I, I want to hear about that.
1: <laughs> well, it might not sound too exciting, but I want you to imagine the occasion and the situation. So if I just give you a little bit of background, I, I'd i been, to, as a fan, because I, I wasn't the announcer at the club in 99, I worked for the club, but I, I wasn't the announcer, but I'd been to a lot of the away games in that year in the Champions League. So, you know, obviously, the nearer it got, the possibility was we were going to reach a final, you know, first one since 68. Anyway, unfortunately, it got to final, which was great, but I couldn't make it, right? I missed the final in Barcelona. So, yeah, I was gutted. And I'd been to loads of the games, the build-up to it, you know, so just one thing that I couldn't make it personal reasons and basically um, I always vowed if United ever got to a Champions League final wherever it was in the world the darkest part of Europe I was going to go to it and rain, hail or shine I would go so let's move on 2008 semi-final we play Barcelona so I don't know if you can imagine it was a very cagey affair very cagey game I remember and, watching um, yeah, well, that particular night, I've never been so nervous in all my life because I'm thinking, if we get to the final, I'm thinking as a fan, if we get to the final, I'm going to Moscow. I don't, do not matter what it costs, I'm going to Moscow. 15 minutes in, Skolzy, I talked about this with him in Atlanta, actually. Skolzy hits a, a rocket of a shot right into the East Angle. I went ballistic as the announcer celebrating on the side, of the side of the dugout. I mean, I lost control. I, I was really unprofessional. I just couldn't contain myself. And then I had to calm down. And then oh, I nearly burst the speaker system in Old Trafford because, you know, United's goal scored by number 18, Paul Scholes, you know, and I just bellowed it out. So the next 75 minutes were the longest 75 football minutes of my life. Because Messi that night, it was unbelievable. He did everything but score a goal. He was dinking, he was dropping his shoulder, he was cutting in. Every time, And he, obviously, when he was on my side, I could see him you know, as clear as I can see someone in the back garden. You know, he was there. And I couldn't wait for the final whistle. I just thought it would never go. It would never go. Anyway, the final whistle went. The whole stadium erupted. We were in a Champions League final. And rightly so. You know, when you think about that team at the time, you know, what a team. And I just thought, I can't leave it. You know, and at the end, of the United Champions League final. We'll see you in Moscow, you know, and all this. And I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm absolutely going hysterical. At that stage, I was quite calm. It was when Scoles, is scored the goal. So anyway, I'm all dead excited. I'm thinking, right, I've got to go to Moscow. Got to sort out my flight, you know, pay for the tickets. And for any United fan, they'll understand it was very expensive to get to Moscow. And you had all the visa stuff and all that. Anyway, two days later, Michael, guess what happened? I get a call off United. UEFA, which I didn't realise at the time. UEFA have invited me as the announcer to go to Moscow and be the announcer for United. Wow. I couldn't believe it so all of a sudden i've not got to find the two thousand pounds or euros i'm going with the club so flight all there put up in the hotel absolutely incredible so i end up going to moscow so two days fly the day before obviously the day of the game i'm, I'm sightseeing with the club or with my mates i've met some of the lads i know i'm there in red square getting the photographs that night, it's pouring it down. But then I announce beautiful cross by Wes Brown. It's a great lad. Crosses the ball, up jumps Ronaldo, high bang into the back of the net. I announce it. Unfortunately, Chelsea get that jammy goal where it sort of ricocheted <laughs> off uh, Nemanja Vidić. Ricocheted was it? Was it Lampard?
0: Yeah,
1: He's got it. Yeah. But the Chelsea lads with me, because obviously UEFA invited the both of us, then obviously they've got independent announcers who speak Russian and English. He announces his goal, he goes hysterical, you know, he's dead chuffed. So we, we shook hands at the beginning, That at the end of the match, there was one of us going to be very happy and ecstatic, and the other one was going to be distraught, because I knew if we won it, I'd go hysterical. <laughs> I just couldn't contain myself. Did you anyway... Oh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we both had a sort of gentleman's agreement and we shook hands. I'd met him before at Wembley, um, so I sort of indirectly knew him, you know. Um, Carly was called. So, anyway, the penalty shootout, you can imagine. Oh, and I think I think we've lost it, you know, because we've messed up. And anyway, you know, you, the rest is history, isn't it? Anelka, John Terry, couldn't have happened to a nicer person. And oh, honestly, I was running around the room in this PA room, because I wasn't inside, like on the pitch side for that. I was in a, in a PA box. And the, oh, the, the guys looking at me thought I'd lost it, you know, because I just, I was jumping on the chairs. I was screaming, I was shouting, I was just going hysterical. So I know it's been a bit long-winded, but it's the personal emotion of being a fan. The story of missing 99, getting to 2008, announcing Ronaldo's goal and then winning the Champions League. And then it was just amazing.
0: And being there as part of Manchester United too. Not just being oh. there, having bought a ticket. And, and there's nothing wrong with having bought a ticket, by the way. But to be a part of the club, just it's a wee cherry on top of the cake.
1: Um, it, was, it was a cherry, you know. And you can imagine, you know, I've experienced that a few times because I know we didn't win, but Wembley, Champions League final, you know, but ultimately we were playing the greatest Barcelona team that there ever was. There'll never be a team like that again. You know, we just happened to come up against them. Um, you know, Wembley and Roma, you know. But then, fantastic memories, Michael. Stockholm, again, you wait for invite the announcer, which I was getting used to it by now. You know, uh, there was an expectancy. Oh, yeah, I'll be there, you know. And uh, an unbelievable experience in Stockholm. And I like the Ajax announcers, a really good pal of mine now. We we, we, we help each other, you know. He, he came over and I saw, uh, you know, through the club, a Obviously, officially, professionally, uh, I arranged tickets for him, and um, and before the lockdown last uh, January, I was in uh, Amsterdam, and uh, he he got me a couple of tickets for me and my wife. You know, so he's a really good pal now. And uh, actually, we've got a podcast lined up with him. I'm doing oh, a brilliant. podcast with him.
0: Give it a pl- yeah. give it a plug. Where
1: can we find it? Uh, it's um, we announced your teams is the podcast. The name of it. Uh, it's coming up. We've recorded it. It's in the can, as they say. Uh, we're waiting probably for an international break but not the, the one that's you know it'll be one of the international breaks that's coming up I don't have a timeline your your podcast but it's coming up in one of the international breaks but yeah he's a great lad Robin he's a top lad and he's a busy guy as well and obviously Ajax is one of the biggest clubs in in Holland so yeah it's good to network like that
0: it probably helps when you're trying to get your pronunciation down as well to be friends with other announcers and say like you're obviously coming over or whatever How do how do we say these guys names?
1: Yeah, well, it's dead right, that, because uh, obviously, you, you know, with Donny, when Donny came over, everyone was calling him Beak, you know. Yeah. So the first oh. game I announced him, obviously, Robin told me that, you know, I, I messaged me and he did a, a voice message on it and said to me, this is how you say it. Um, but all, obviously, unfortunately, the, communicate, the communications director at Old Trafford lived in Holland, uh, Charlie, so he'd also told me that it was Donny van der Beek as in Baker, you know, so it's uh, so not big, it's big.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever have those moments where you, have you ever said, the obviously you had that mistake with Forlan and Beckham and that, that can happen to anybody, but have you ever pronounced a name wrong and had a player come up afterwards and says, actually, it's whatever?
1: Um, no, not, not in that instance. Um, but I've looked at some names, like, you know, when I first saw Kalichi Ineacho, I mean, Brian Kidd told me how to say that because obviously he was with City and I know Kiddo very well and I yeah. always have a chat yeah. with him and I just said, Kiddo, you've got to help me on this one. He was bursting out laughing. He said, I could set you up there, couldn't I Al? <laughs> and then when he said, it, it's like Iniesta, and you're thinking, well, where does that sit with Iniesta, you know, and Kalichi and all the rest of it? But um, no, but I'll tell you a story with an Irish connection. Um, so when Johnny Evans made his debut for United and um, he, he was actually on the bench, and when I introduced him on the board, um, you know, obviously I knew him as one of the reserve players. I always have a keen eye on Irish players, you know, because of my Irish background. Um, anyway, on the board, it had Jonathan Evans, right? So and I'd, I'd done a few little bits with, with, with Johnny, nothing major, but like little uh, events with him. So that's where I got to meet him. Anyway, when I was student, he, he tapped me on the shoulder um, and the game had started because he was a sub, you see. So I'd gone like, substitutes today, whatever his number was, number 33, Jonathan Evans. So I got this tap on the shoulder and he said, uh, hey, Alan, he said, do you have any control on the, on, the, on the team names and all the rest of it? What comes up on the screen, on the board? I said, yeah, yeah, I can have a word with the, the person in the room. like." And he said, "Could you ask him to change it to, to Johnny? He said, only my mother calls me Jonathan. So I said, yeah, I can sort that out for you. So then from then onwards, I had a guy with, I uh, had a word with David He does all that, the keyboard stuff and the screen. And uh, so for the second half, uh, when he came on, then it had Johnny, Johnny Evans, you know. So little things like that, Michael.
0: Makes all the difference for a player too, because whatever you announce them as and whatever the club puts them out as is what they're going to be called forever.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we've had it re- recently with... Uh, Shola Shore tyre, because we've all been announcing him for that. They've been doing it on MUTV, I've been listening, blah, blah, blah. He makes his debut, comes on for Marcus Rashford and I go in the stadium, obviously, uh, where there's no fans. Uh, please welcome, making his debut, you know, blah, 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 number whatever it is, 77 or whatever he wears. Uh, Shola short tyre. And then I get all the messages are coming in then from the club or one thing and another that um his actual name is Shora So when he came on the second time at the next game, which was great, I was able to rectify it, which very soon, so uh, you know, game coming on, blah, 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 Shola Thierry. So we've got that one right at least, Michael.
0: <laughs> I might even put that out separately, just as a little explainer on social media, because so often you hear that one commentator will go with one version, another with another, and supporters end up getting understandably confused.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, well, that's that, that's that's actually from the family. So it's yeah. Shora sure Tire, you know, that's like, that's the official line. There and that's go. what um, it's going to be called. Yeah, so when there's 75,000 fans back at Old Trafford, that's what they'll be hearing.
0: So when, when he's banging in the goals, folks, it's sure a Tire, your, your yeah. celebrant. Yeah,
1: sure a Tire. Yeah, I think it's easier to make a song up with that as well, you know, Tire. So I'm sure there'll be somebody, Pete Boyle or somebody will be sorting out a song about that.
0: That must be one of the things you really can't wait for the fans to come in, as much as they give the the players, and obviously the the playing staff are going to be the priority at the football club. Just selfishly, you too, when you're when you're bellowing out those names and those big moments, you want that noise underneath you, don't you?
1: Yeah, you do. I mean, you know, it's that reaction, isn't it? Even in a nice way, even when you're doing the away team and there's a bit of booing or whatever, or there's a (laughs) specific player, you know, that's playing, you know, back in the day after we'd come back from the Champions League final um, the next season when Chelsea played us. And so I'd gone through the team and I think he was the last one. And I, I couldn't understand it because I was looking at the screen. So I'm not like looking around. And I, I go, and number 26, John Terry and the whole stadium are up to cheering and clapping him, you know, absolutely deafening sound because obviously the penalty in Moscow, the fans were waiting to welcome him back to Old Trafford. So, uh yeah, that was an interesting experience.
0: There's certain players, for whatever reason, that people just know to be. And I remember being at the FA Cup final, Man United, Millwall. And as soon as Dennis Wise's name was announced, you know, there, nobody needed to send a memo round. And I'm not, if Dennis, if you happen to be watching, this isn't a personal slight. But supporters, just <laughs> it's amazing how an entire stadium can decide this is our panto villain.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're you Dennis Wise, you know, people like that, you're Joey Barton, you know, there's <laughs> there's players there that they just, you know, they are the pantomime villain, as you say. But I think sometimes those players sort of love that, you know, that's their sort of image and that they play off that as well. You know, you've heard it often said, you know, if they're booing me, it gives me an extra bit of inspiration. But yeah, Dennis was one, as I say, and, and, and Joey Barton was another. Stephen Gerrard, he was another. Jamie Carragher. You know, quite a few of the Liverpool players, you know, they, they would, you know, Carragher and the rivalry, especially when him and Neville when they were playing, had that bit of a to-do, you know, where they're holding each other's collars and yeah. things, you know. so and look, yeah, at but <laughs> I look at them now. And look at them now, the best of buddies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, just another example of why it's a funny old game. You mentioned about your uh, Irish heritage and, and your background. Tell us a bit about that, because, um, I mean, anybody that knows anything about Manchester and my other half is an example of this, and we had a little chat beforehand too, the The Irish community in Manchester is massive, and you speak to anybody from the city, they're usually connected some way back to here.
1: Yeah, there's a massive, massive uh, Irish community in Manchester. I mean, I'd say outside of London, I mean, Birmingham might try and argue this, or even Liverpool for that matter, but I would say Manchester's probably got the second biggest Irish community. I'm not just saying that, I mean... A, I think from facts and the fact that I used to do a radio show for the Irish community, looking at all the figures around the UK and population of cities, I think Manchester's always been up there, you know, albeit that Liverpool has a strong connection because of the docks and the the port and travelling over. But um, yeah, so I've been very lucky because I got into broadcasting radio-wise. First of all, helping out on a radio show through a, a great friend of mine, Eamon O'Neill, he was like presenting a radio show for the Irish community. And it was a big step for the BBC because, you know, the, the, the trouble, there were still troubles going on in the north of Ireland. And, you know, for the BBC to give the Irish community a radio show uh, with their own voice, you know, et cetera, it was a big step back in the day. You know, we're talking the early 80s here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Eamon led it. I was part of his team and, you know, just did the odd interview and sort of filled in. But I learnt the trade and he was a brilliant mentor and, you know, to the point where he eventually ended up presenting the show for seven years, you know, so I took over the mantle and I'd been on another radio station doing another Irish radio show, uh, another radio station presenting a four-hour radio show. So my roots have always been embedded in the Irish community and my mum and dad came over here with four kids from the south of Ireland, from County Leitrim, um... And, you know, basically, my mum and dad came over. We lived in a shop in, in, in a part of Manchester called, well, it was Cholton Cum Not to be mistaken with Cholton on its own. Cholton Cum Hardy, which was sort of embedded with Longsight, And a lot of the Irish will relate to Longsight and Levenshulme. They're very close to each other, big, big populated areas. And, and I did a community 28-day licence as well uh, back in the day. And I did it from 11 June because this council figures for the population showed that the postcode M19 was the most populated Irish area. So my Irish roots, I'm very proud of them, you know, and um, it's something, you know, I go to Ireland every year, you know, um, and it's something that I love, you know, I love that background. Like I say, my brothers and sisters are all Irish. Uh, There's a year gap between me and the next dad. So I was a little bit thought, I think, you know, when my mum and dad came over. Are you the only one with a Manx accent then rather than an yeah. Irish accent? Oh, yes, yeah. Oh, my, well, <laughs> you know, God, God rest me, older sister, she passed away a few years ago. But uh, yeah, I grew up in a household, I didn't know anything different. It was all Irish accents, you know. Um, and my mum my and dad, as I say, I grew up in a shop. So I think that's where I learned the gift of talking because I always had to speak to the customers as a young lad. You know, my mum would always say, my dad went and worked in the building game. You know, he was like your typical Irish fellow who'd come over, worked in the building science. But my mum, my mum and dad uh, worked in a shop and she was in Ireland. So when we came over, she wanted to set up her own business. And, you know, great memories living in in Longsight or Charlton Camardie. St. Joseph's was the local church. And, you know, the priest used to say that my mum's shop, it was like Radio Longsight, he called it. (laughs) It was uh, full of information, you know, and if anybody came over and were looking for a flat or, you know, looking, f- you know, to get some food and get themselves set up, it was great, great memories, great I childhood.
0: I was going to say, anyone growing up in that area, it seemed to be a really tight community as well. Everybody seemed to know everybody and, and try to help each other out.
1: Oh, yeah, it was back to the old days, you know, it really was, you know, the pre- the local church and the community centre and the two priests were Irish and... You know, it was little Ireland, to be honest. You know, um, like I say, I grew up in a household with Irish accents. Every other customer that came in was Irish. You know, it was a general grocer, so bread and milk and eggs and food. You know, so we we were sort of the the mini Tesco of its day. You know, it was fantastic.
0: Yeah, Claire's accent's somewhat confused because she was born in Manchester but has has lived in Wexford for the majority of her life. So it's somewhere in between it. It's Irish enough that people in Northern Ireland know it's Irish but not Irish enough that people from the Republic go.
1: Where are you from, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are you really from? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't have that problem. I'm, I'm very proud of my Manchester accent, and it's not, it's not done, done me any harm. You know, the voice of Old Trafford, the voice of FIFA, the game. You know, I'm the, the voice on there now. So the stadium announcer for the Premier League, which wounds up my other mates who are stadium announcers. Because if you go on to Everton or Liverpool or City, it's me that you hear. If you want to hear me, you know.
0: Yeah. So when they're when they're playing the game or, or their kids are playing the game or whatever, they're going like, you know, Daddy really does it, don't you?
1: <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah. Yeah. Pulling the game. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's brilliant. You've got Martin Tyler and Alan Smith doing the commentating, and then in the background you've got me. You know, goal scored by the usual announcement stuff. So that was a great project to be involved in with FIFA. I'm very proud of that as well.
0: I'd spoken previously um, on another uh, radio programme with Derek Ray, who also does the, the European Games on FIFA. And, I mean, for anyone that, that didn't hear that, it sounds like a huge project. It isn't just a case of sitting down for a day or two. I mean, this is it's, it's massive.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was in the studio for four days. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely exhausting because I had to do every Premier League team. I had to do them twice, the whole squad's high, Low, you've got to do. I to do the championship as well, because you don't know what three they're recording it in January. So it's nine months before, so you don't know what three teams are going to get promoted. So you know, but it's it's like it's the nearest thing to making a movie because it's the same skill set for them. You know all the preparation, all the graphics, all the animation. All, all, all the CGI, it's just an amazing project to be part of, and I'm so proud of it. You know, it's great to have your name at the end on the credits. You know, it's absolutely fantastic.
0: It's probably a really good way to see how patient people are, truly, because they're going, oh, no, we need a bit more oomph this time, and you're like, how many times yeah. can I say this name?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, no, you're, you're right, you know, and that was a challenge because, you know, some of the names I'd never heard of, you know. Yeah, of course. And it's just, just the facts of life. You've not heard of them. So you're trying to get the pronunciation, you're typing it into the vocal voice box that gives you the pronunciation and then you're trying to listen to it. And, you know, anything like that can take five minutes and you've got to read out 24 names of a full squad. You know, it it can eat into the time, but great, great to be part of it and great to be part of the history of it, you know.
0: And with being, you know, a voice of two global brands in that sense, do people maybe like in a chip shop in normal times or anything just kind of go like, I
1: know you from somewhere. Um, I wouldn't say the chip shop, but it's a good example because I like fish and chips. But (laughs) no, I'll tell you where it might happen. If I'm hosting an event, right, and it's not necessarily a football event, I might be hosting an awards night or a dinner of some sort. Obviously, this is pre-lockdown. And sometimes when I stand up and I'll say, "Hello, good evening, and welcome, ladies and gentlemen." Here we are tonight at, you know, the world famous Midland Hotel in the heart of Manchester. And then someone will come up to me and say, Do you mind me asking it? Are you such and such? are you the announcer? At all and so that'll come into it sometimes in that sort of situation, yeah. Or uh, but not not in the chip shop, no, Michael.
0: <laughs> Levy just to get your what, what's your good order? What's your go to in a chip shop?
1: Oh well, fish, chips, peas, and gravy. I'm a Mancunian, I'm a northerner, you've got to have gravy with your chips.
0: You've you've passed the mancunian test, I was just double checking. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's all right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's official. Um with the stadium managers, you've given us a little insight there, even unknowingly, that the fact that you know you get on with quite a lot of them and you would converse with them and even record podcasts with them. Um is there ever like a, a rivalry? Do you ever, you know, <laughs> do you ever sort of go there, oh, there's here's the one that likes to show off? I'm not necessarily asking you to name names because I appreciate you still have to work uh, near these people, but does that <laughs> ever come
1: into it? Yeah, there's a little bit of banter because a few of the lads are are my mates, you know, so like, say, Paul Burrell at Arsenal, he'd be one of my best pals, you know. Um, Obviously, I do the podcast with Rich Hurst from West Bromwich Albion. He's become a really good friend, but I met him through the podcast. uh, I've never done anything live with him, believe it. i not only recording the podcast. Uh, But Paul Burrell's a good lad because I've done a few of the the EFL Cup finals because he's got the gig for that at Wembley. But when Arsenal were playing Birmingham, he couldn't do it, but he was there because you always invite the the announcers to do a little five-minute piece. And when Birmingham beat Arsenal, announcers are professional. Obviously, I'll bring him to win. You know, the underdogs <laughs> Arsenal. You know, have been one of our big rivals. Um, and Paul was really wound up that day. You know, because when when they scored the winner, I absolutely blew the microphone at Wembley and just really <laughs> went for it. You know, so yeah, I mean, another good pal of mine is uh, Graham at Everton. And we have a lot of banter. We're in touch every week, me and Graham. We have a lot of on social media. And, um, you know, if you notice with Graham, I'm going to blow his cover here. So uh, apologies, Graham. But whenever United play Everton, and we're all guilty of this, by the way, but when we played them, you might remember um, recently they went ahead 1 0, but we ended up beating them. I think it was 3 1. So he nearly blew the roof off Goodison um, when they scored the first goal. But when United scored, you could hardly hear the announcement. So uh, I sent him a message and said, "Is your microphone broke, you know, but uh, we have good banners. So much respect for George at Anfield. You know, he's been doing it, wow, I think he's been doing it 50 years, you know, in one way or another. Um, so, you know, lots of good lads. Dominic Walker from Burnley. We all get on. We're all good lads, you know, and, and we all love it if one of us makes a mistake, you know, because social media now... There's no hiding place, so you've just got to you've got to be up front. So there's good bantering, and as I say, you can listen to the podcast there. We announce your teams. It's it, we normally do one about every couple of weeks. We're on series two at the moment. So thanks for the plug there, Michael.
0: Oh, no problem at all. Is it a competitive industry? Stadium announcing, you know, when you think about now how everything is an opportunity to be a global brand, I'm thinking clubs are probably looking, you know, which announcer. Is best received, which announcer can plug as much as we need to in a way that maybe the fans don't know they're being sold to. You know that uh, I would love to say the world's all sort of rainbows and and whatever, but you know it, it's it's corporate, isn't
1: it? It is corporate, and and you know that's a fact of life now. But that what that's what puts you on that global stage. You know, if you're a, a Manchester United or any other club that's competed to be on that level, you know, um, there's no doubt about it. United are up there, and I think if you think about United. You haven't won a trophy for four seasons, but they're still up there. Yeah. There's not many clubs could could hold their own, you know. I mean, obviously, we know the major clubs, you know, your Real Madrid, your Barcelona's. You've got your clubs that have got the oil money that have come in. You know, you've got your your other clubs that have got recent success. So, obviously, they're going to be up there because they're, they're making the TV money or the, the sponsorship money on the back of the win. But United are still up there, thankfully, and hopefully they'll win a trophy fairly soon. So... It is. It's a global brand, and you represent it You've got to. You've got to be professional. It's not two ways about it. You know, like you can't just, you know, be flippant on the microphone and say what you want. You know, it's very controlled, and you know, it's a situation where, you know, I'm so thrilled because, um, I don't know when this podcast is going to go out, so hopefully I don't age it for you. But oh no, I'm it's going to be it's doing
0: next week. It.
1: Right. Well, coming up, um, coming up, I've got. I'm doing a historic day at Old Trafford because they're playing the first women's game, Mm -hmm. you know, for the Manchester United women against West Ham. So that's going to be great. I'm part of the history again, Michael. So and it's all part of that global brand is Manchester United.
0: I was wondering, do people tap up stadium announcers now? You know, is there a transfer window for you guys? (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, (laughs) there isn't, but a few of the lads have worked around. You know, they've been to different. Oh, just because a lot of clubs might use a radio presenter, mm-hmm. so a few of the lads, the clubs will contact somebody because they want somebody to be professional on a microphone. Um, but no, the the you know, I mean, back in the day, I worked at City back in the early days, you know, because I was young. I wanted to get into the world of media. The opportunity arose, and I always say, you know, if I hadn't worked at City, I probably wouldn't have got the job at United because they wanted someone who was trained, if you like, and all ready for it. So. From that point of view, it works out very well. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that it did. So, um, you know, that's absolutely, you know, one of the things that you've got to be in the right place at the right time, you know.
0: And with having worked at Man City, obviously nothing wrong with working for Man City. Uh, great education for you. And it's led you to working for the club now that you've supported your entire life. But was it ever kind of awkward going into Main Road as it was at that stage when you were working for them, being a Man United fan?
1: Um, well, more so going to the Etihad because I always love going to the away games, and my son's a big United fan, so obviously it's the opportunity for us to go to, to a match together. Um, let's just say I'd be fairly disguised when I'd go in there, <laughs> I wouldn't start saying, Here I am, you know, I'd always make sure that you know I've had my cap on and my jacket and stuff, you know. Um, not that I've ever been threatened as such, but you know, football rivalries are big, aren't they? On, on a derby day. You know, you don't want to sort of trigger something off, so I've, I've always kept it low key and and just want to come out and enjoy the moment, which has always been something I've been mindful. You know, and I don't want to rub it in the face because I did have a good time when I worked there. And I have to say that you know it was a great place to work at City and at Main Road predominantly because I never worked at the Etihad. So you know, it was a, it was a great grounding and I made a lot of friends there who are still friends. You know, still involved with the club. So. So, as much as it's changed and it's got different owners, there's still, obviously, you know, I know Brian Kidd and when Kiddo comes to Old Trafford and different things, I always have a chat with him when he's at the side of the pitch before the game kicks off. So, you know, there's all those relationships that you have.
0: I think one of the amazing things about football as well is despite all the rivalries, if you look through any of the, the toughest parts in history, whether it be England's or even Manchester's history, the two clubs have come together at some, at some very poignant times and that, to me, is exemplified, you know, this is what football is about and the, the sense of banding together and looking after one another and the two Manchester clubs have, have done that over history.
1: Yeah, we, we have done, you're right, you know, and, and one that comes to mind for me was even the Munich anniversary, you know, where we played City on the actual anniversary of the day, it's where they wore all the replica shirts, you know, from the 50s and, um that was an amazing day. And the City fans were so respectful during the silence, you know. And you don't forget things like that, you know. There's, you know and I think they remember as well that they lost some people involved with the club as well. And, you know, um, one of the reporters obviously was an ex-City player. So, you know, you, you've got that, that bond. Yeah, there's, there's rivalry, there's banter, but there's a time and a place. And that was one of the days I shan't forget the City fans for. They were brilliant.
0: Yeah, um, that's a, it's a lovely uh, thing to remember for, in amongst all the rivalries. Just lastly, Man United fans will want to know this. Two-parter, what's it like working with Solskjaer and when's he winning his first trophy?
1: <laughs> right. Ollie, absolutely brilliant. And Ollie is a man of steel. You know, I see it firsthand on a match day, you know, um, and it's so clear now everything you can hear. Ollie's the right man for the job. He's a club legend, and I believe if Ollie can get over that line and get that first piece of silverware, it will be the first of many. He just needs to get past that semi-final and get into a final. Let's win it. He's the right man for the job. It's the right time and the right place for Manchester United and for Ollie going to sell Shire. because he to the club. You can see by the recruitment, you know, not just the players, but his backroom staff. Mike Phelan, That legacy with Sir Alex, that connection. You know, Michael Carrick, you know, a legend of the club. Great to have there. You know, he can, you know, he's won it all. So the players will look at Michael Carrick and think, yeah, I'll listen to you. Ollie's won it all, of course. You know, he's done it. He's been there. Scored the most iconic goal ever in the club's history. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, the recent recruits with Darren Fletcher. It's just all right. And the foundations are being built. And you can see these young lads who are coming in. You know, like, you've got the way where the recruitment's coming in. You know, Ahmad has come in. Young teenager, we paid a lot of money for him. Shaw O'Teary coming through the ranks. You know, there's a few others there as well. Hannibal's just signed a new contract, new young lad. So, I think the future's looking good. And I think Oli will win his first trophy this season. Oh, there
0: you go. Love that as a prediction. What do you think, Manchester United fans? You can uh, let us know online what's it going to be. It's been a real pleasure hearing from you, Alan. And um, as I said right at the start, an iconic voice and and football fans the world over recognise it. And it's uh, it's been lovely chatting to you for the last while. So thanks so much for coming on.
1: It's been a pleasure, Michael, and hopefully we'll do it again. Maybe when all won his first uh, trophy, we can have a catch up and a, a review of the season, and we'll do it again, mate. I
0: <laughs> look forward to it. Alan Keegan, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Michael. Thank you for listening to the Michael Clark Show podcast. You can follow me at M. Clark Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Check back every Wednesday for a brand new episode, which you can download as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also watch the entire interview via my YouTube channel that is youtube.com forward slash The Michael Clark Show. And if you like our theme song, it has been kindly provided by the brilliant SX-70. Search for SX-70 on Spotify to stream their music. Until next Wednesday, take care, I'll speak to you soon.